Welcome to the City Church Sermon Podcast. City Church is a new church located in the city of Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. Our hope and prayer is that the following message can serve as an encouragement and as a blessing and inspiration in your walk with Christ. If you have any questions about City Church and want more information about us or you want to visit during one of our Sunday celebrations, please visit us online at citychurchfrisco.org or email us at hello at citychurchfrisco.org. If you would like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at citychurchfrisco.org slash give. Thank you for listening. And we were talking yesterday for a little while. We were talking about, uh, we were talking about moving forward. And we were talking about how God moves in our lives. And there's times when, th- that there comes a time when you need to say, time's up on this season of my life. Time's up. I'm where I find myself. And we, I, I, in the very beginning of the sermon, I said that, um, that we all of us find ourselves in one of three different positions. All of us find ourselves either moving forward. Some of us find ourselves standing still. But yet other of us find ourselves falling behind. And this year, we don't want this year to be another year where we stand still. And we don't want this year to be another year where we fall behind. But rather, we want this year to be a year in which we are definitely, without a question, without a a shadow of a doubt, we are moving forward, we are taking steps forward, and we are moving towards the purpose that God has for our lives. And part of this movement, part of this motion that I'm talking about uh, is, is this idea or maybe a concept or this, this thing that we have in our hearts about pursuing dreams or, or even pursuing certain promises that we feel that God has delivered to us through his word. And maybe that promise, that promise could possibly be a a dream that God has deposited in your life. Maybe it's a business that God has has put in your heart that maybe there's a possibility in the future that you can do this. But self-doubts and lack of resources and different things get in the way. And and we like the idea of pursuing this promise, pursuing this dream, but obstacles seem to get in the way. Maybe, maybe it's the pursuit of an education. Maybe it's the pursuit not of a business, but of a certain career that you're chasing. Maybe it's the pursuit of the perfect marriage. Maybe it's the, the, the pursuit of that, that, that young man or that young girl that hasn't yet arrived. Maybe it's the pursuit of that, that young man finally popping the question. Oh, man. Whatever the pursuit is, that if we're pursuing something, it is implied that we are moving towards a goal. Or we are moving towards a purpose. And the reality is that, that we don't necessarily, we look at God's promises and God is not unfaithful to not deliver on his promises. 
God is not unfaithful to deliver upon the dreams that he has deposited in your life, in your family's life, in your marriage. God is not unfaithful like we can be unfaithful at times. But see, the thing that happens, the reason that sometimes we don't actually achieve that dream or, or we don't get to where that purpose or, that, or that, that, that promise, or we get to the promised land, let's say it that way, the reason we don't get there is because we stop the pursuit. There comes a moment, as I said, that we are moving forward, but certain obstacles, certain things that begin to occur in life, and what happens is that we either stand still, or we begin to fall behind. We begin to fall behind. And there was a great promise in the Bible. As we, we, if you begin to explore the Bible and you begin to read from the very first book of the Bible, you get to Genesis chapter 12. There's a man that is introduced into the narrative and his name is Abraham. And God starts speaking to Abraham. Many, many theologians even think that Abraham really didn't even pray to God before this. That, God, that Abraham maybe didn't even uh, know God until this. God, for some reason, decided to choose Abraham and, and to give and deposit this dream, deposit this promise into Abraham's life. And God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham... I am going to make a great nation out of you. Look into the skies. Look at the stars in the skies. If you can number the, sky, the stars in the sky, that is how great your descendants will be. And through your descendants and through this promise, not only will you be blessed, not only will your family be blessed, not only will your future generations be blessed, but all nations, all people, all color, all sizes, all looks, every person on this earth will be blessed through this promise. The Bible says that Abraham believed God. And because of his belief in God, because he put his faith in God, he was counted as a righteous man even though he did a lot of unrighteous things. Does someone receive that today? Because Lord knows we need help. And Abraham's son is born finally after many years of doubt. And Isaac is born. And then Isaac has a couple sons. And one of his sons was named Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And this is where we begin to see the, the nation of Israel start developing through these 12 sons. Uh, what we now know as the 12 tribes of Israel and one of these 12 sons his name was Joseph and if you remember back in 2016 those of you that were here already in 2016 we we went through a sermon series by the name of overcome and we spoke uh, on the on the life of Joseph and and if you remember Joseph's life Joseph went through some stuff if you think you have junk in your life you need to read Joseph's story and he went through some terrible, terrible circumstances, but it didn't matter because God's favor was on him. See, when God's favor is on your life, it doesn't matter what they try to do to you. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It doesn't matter how they try to bring you down. When God's favor is upon your life, you're going to keep moving forward no matter what. 
God is with you. Joseph became a great leader in Egypt. Then Joseph's family, who had been the ones that sold him into slavery, discovered that Joseph was still alive. Joseph discovered that his family was still alive. And there was this great and wonderful reunion and this forgiveness that was poured out. It was quite a beautiful thing that we can learn from. And Joseph, because of the favor he had found in this foreign land, in the land of Egypt, uh, Joseph, through the connections and the hookups that he had there, was able to manage to bring his whole family into Egypt because where his family was living, there was a famine. And without Egypt's help, his family would have died. In essence, the promise that God made to Abraham many years ago would have died. Jacob's family comes to Egypt. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 1 that all the descendants or, or the whole family of Jacob that moved in to Egypt with Joseph was, was the number of 70. 70 people, 70 women, 70 men, 70 children. I don't know what the mixture was, but it was 70 people. It was the size of a small congregation that showed up. And as we read the Bible, the, the Bible says that they were treated like royalty because Joseph was highly favored. They were given good land and they were given pastures. They were given herds uh, of cattle. They were given sheep and they were given lots of things for them to be able to live and to make a life for themselves in the land of Egypt. In the land of Egypt. But all of a sudden, the Bible says that Israel began to prosper. You would think that prosperity is a good thing. Praise the Lord. Right? Why would prosperity bring the house down? Why would prosperity make us think twice about what God is doing? But the Bible says that the, 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 the people of Israel began to prosper. They began to grow in numbers. It, it says that the, the Bible even says that, that the women of Israel, they were so healthy and so strong that the kids were just coming out left and right. They were so hardy. And Egypt got concerned. Egypt got worried. Have you ever noticed that when things start going well in your life, that people around your life start to look at you like, what's going on with you? And, and things begin to turn around for your life, and, and things begin to get better in your life, and, and people look, start looking at you, man, I, I liked you when you were overweight a little bit more. I liked you when you were always in trouble a little bit better. I liked you when you were always uh, flip-flopping on things and you were always just, but now that I see you're prospering, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on and, and I can't relate with that because my life is in shambles. And when you start getting your life together, it seems like people just start talking about you, pointing fingers at you. And saying, what is this guy up to? Who does he think he is? Who does she believe? Some people are okay with you, but until you begin to prosper, you got to watch out. That's when I say, yes, the time's up. There's some, there are some relationships you got to 
you know what, you were my, re this relationship was good in this season, but now that God has moved me to a new season, you know, we can see each other in heaven, but right now, I think it's better if we keep a little distance. Don't go unfriending people and say, Pastor told me to unfriend you, all right? And the other thing I find interesting as I read this and as we look at this, isn't it interesting that they went into Egypt. Listen carefully. They went into Egypt to be saved. But the very thing that saved them enslaved them. Don't you find that interesting? That the blessing, because if they had stayed in Canaan, if they had stayed in the land that God had originally given Jacob and the land that still was promised to them, if they had stayed there, they would have starved to death. But God moved them from Canaan and moved them to Egypt, a place of abundance because there was food and there was money and there was all this prosperity to be had. But the very thing that was a blessing all of a sudden now becomes a curse. The thing that enslaved them, enslaved them. And, and I wonder why does God do this? Why does God allow some blessings in our lives to expire? And we don't seem to, you know, it's like when you get a can of jarred pickles and you've had them in the, in the back of the fridge for the longest time and you're cleaning out your fridge and, and you pull them out and you're like, okay, I wonder if these are still good. And you look for an expiration date. For some reason, God's blessings don't come with an expiration date. But we need to learn to be aware that there are blessings that God puts in our lives that do expire. And the reason God does this, and I believe that the reason that God does this with the blessings that he gives us, is that we are very, very fickle in our faithfulness. And what happens is that if we begin to be blessed in a certain manner, we begin to depend on that blessing and not the real source of the blessing. And God allows this, this, uh, this untrue or this fake source to dry up in our lives because he needs you to understand and we need to understand that the source that we should be looking to, that the hope we should be putting on somebody is not on a blessing. It's not on a person that helped you. It's not on a new job that was given to you. Your hope, your source is only found in Jesus Christ. And there are times when your blessing expires. Now, don't say anything, but some of us, you know, you've been in a job. You were so excited to get that job. Remember day one? Day one. But then what happens? Year two, year three, and you're like, oh, my gosh, i got to go to work today. Well, what happened about that excitement on day one? What was a blessing now has become your, your grind. Now has become, do I really have to? It blessed you at one point. But now seems to be more of a burden than a blessing. And God allows that to dry up. Because our hearts get dependent on things that don't last. 
I've told you many times, church, our identity should be built on God, not on things that can be taken away from us. This includes people and this includes your wonderful and beautiful and handsome spouse. This includes your wonderful children because they are all just temporary. The only thing that is permanent in your life is God. And we should never allow temporary things to take the place of something permanent. So, so we need to... Understand that God doesn't do it just to be upset with us or anything. He, he needs our hearts to be in tune with him because if he allows something to dry up, it means that he's ready for us or we are ready for, to go into another level, into a new season in our lives. And, and as we read the story now, the, the, the Egyptians have enslaved the Israelites and they've been now for over 400 years under the oppression of the Egyptian people. They are building, they're constructing, they're doing work. They're being beaten into submission. Their children are being murdered because they don't want, they're doing uh, population control. And the cry of the people has become so great that God, the, uh, God looks and sees the people. And, and now his plan and, the, and his hand begins to move. And we, we get to Exodus chapter 3. And it's a very, very famous moment in the Bible that we've all heard of, uh, about, even if you haven't been in church very long. And it's the burning bush experience of Moses. That God begins to speak to Moses through a burning bush that wouldn't consume itself. And God is telling Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. Tell them that I am on my way. Tell them that I am at work. And gather the people. And towards the end of God's instructions to, to, to Abraham, in Exodus chapter 3, Verse 20, he, he tells Moses, and I believe we have it up here. Exodus chapter 3, verse 20. He says, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. Let's stay back on the 20. He will let you go. I, I think that after 400 years of slavery, for most of us, I would say for all of us, that's enough. The guarantee that this cruel ruling and lording over the people is about to end. Well, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. It's coming. Salvation is coming. And, and let's go home now. He says, let it go. That, that we're going to let, that he will let you go. In verse 21, but God, that's not enough for God. God says in verse 21, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Now, we're going to stay right there for just a moment. Now, moving forward, leaving from one place to another, leaving from one season to another, 
It doesn't mean that you're leaving everything behind. It doesn't mean that you're leaving empty-handed. Here's the problem. Some of us leave so fast. We want to get out of Egypt. We're done with this. We're tired of this. That we forget to bring some stuff with us. Praise the Lord. Now, I've never been fired from a job. But... But I, I've seen people get fired, and I see how fast they leave after they've been fired. And weeks later, we're still finding their stuff all over the place. And some of us, we're just ready to move to the next level. We are ready to just get out of where we're at because of the suffering, because of the pain, that we forget to pick up a few things on our way out. God says... I'm going to take you out of Egypt, but you're not going to leave empty-handed. You're not going to leave without something that you're carrying. You're not going to leave without something that you're going to take steps with. Verse 22 says, every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. See, I think it's interesting the way that God works. I think it's interesting that, that the very thing that was going to bless them, enslave them, and when that season was over, even though many years of oppression had gone by, and even though if you read the narrative and you, you read the story that they didn't leave on good terms because as they're leaving, uh, all of Egypt's firstborn children had just died because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, because of Pharaoh's hardened heart. But yet the word of God says that when you, that God said that when you leave Egypt, you're not going to leave empty-handed. What you're going to do is that you're going to tell the women to talk to the other women in, Israel, in Egypt, and they're going to ask for not just clothing, but they're going to ask for gold and for silver, and they will give it to you. In that manner, you will plunder Egypt. See, the, the, the very same people who enslaved you will now enrich you. The very same people that were your oppressors now will be your investors. The very same people that took you down are now going to hook you up. And now they're going to set you up for the future. Now they're going to set you up for you to be able to go on this new journey that God is calling on you, calling you to go to. See, don't be afraid of your enemies. Because your very enemy that is attacking you today is going to help you for tomorrow. The very same enemy that is talking, pointing fingers and accusing you is going to be the one that's going to push you forward into the future. Psalm 23 verse 5, the psalmist says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Your enemies will serve your table. Your enemies will serve your table. Don't be afraid of your enemies. 
Don't be afraid of what they say about you. And we got to understand that Egypt represented pain, represented oppression, represented suffering for those people, the people of Israel. And God said, you're not going to leave empty-handed. When you go through pain and when you go through suffering in your life, you're not leaving empty-handed, church. You are bringing with you things that are going to help you along the way. You're bringing things. You're going to get some stuff. Tell your neighbor, I've got stuff. Stuff is a funny word. So there's two things. Thank God for no countdown clock. There's two things that the Bible says that they asked for. Two very specific things. You can ask for clothing. You're going to ask for clothing. You see, the, 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 what the Israelites didn't know, but what God did know, was that they were about to embark, when they left Egypt, that the Israelites were about to embark into a journey in the wilderness that was going to take 40 years. It was going to take some time, and it was going to take some new elements that were going to be introduced to their lives, things they had never faced before. And when they left Egypt, God is basically saying, if you leave the way you are now, you're not going to be ready to face what's ahead. But you need to leave Egypt, not with your hands empty, and you're going to take some clothing to protect you from these elements that you're going to be facing. There's going to be some heat that you never faced. There's going to be some cold at night that you've never had to endure and you're not going to have homes. You're going to be living. You're going to be in nomads. You're going to be living in tents and out of tents, setting up, breaking down day and night. Because where you're going is going to be very unlike where you've been. It's a new level. There's new battles. And this clothing that they were taking was preparing them. For the journey ahead. Church, there are some battles ahead of us. There are some challenges that we will face as we move forward. And God wants to use the clothing of the pain and suffering that you've gone through to break, to, to prepare you and to get you ready to go and step into that new level. A anything, anything we take with us is not going to be as important as the clothing that you have. Have you, have you ever walked into the room, into a room, and you knew you looked good? Come on. Let's not be all humble right now, okay? It's just us. It's just us. It's family. Have you ever walked into the room, and you, you knew that you looked good? And you had that suit, you were rocking that suit, you were, you were rocking those heels and your hair was just right. You know, you took that time and you knew you had it going on. And you know when you have it going on, you walk with a different confidence. You walk a little straighter. You walk with a little bit more purpose in your life. And that's what God is saying, that when you wear the, 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 the clothing of the pain and suffering that you've had to go through, you're going to be a little bit more confident when you walk into that. That next room that you got to go into God is taking you to a new level and you got to be clothed properly you got to have the confidence that only comes with the experience preparation doesn't happen in the comfort of your couch 
Because in the couch, it's all theory. In the books, it's all theory. But until you actually get into it, until you actually step into the storm, until you actually are in that boat that's rocking and it doesn't seem like the storm is ending and you're being tossed left and right, just as Jesus said yesterday, I'm being storm tossed. And what am I going to say? Am I going to give up? And I say, Father, no, take me out of this. No, I'm going to say, Father, keep glorifying yourself in my life for this very reason I was brought here. There's a confidence that comes with the preparation that God gives you. Like David. David went to see his brothers. And his brothers were all hunkered down with the rest of the army of Israel. And they were all a little scared. They were shivering because uh, they were trembling in, fr- in fear because there was this giant of a man that was challenging the people of Israel. And David, full of confidence, goes to the king and says, I can take care of this king. Send the ser- your servant. I will go and face this giant. And the king looks at David and says, What makes you think that you, a child, could face a mighty warrior that's been trained for battle? And David said, you know what, king, that's a good question, but let me tell you, I have been tending for many years the flock of my father. And every time I go out, I have a sense of responsibility for each one of those sheep. And there was this one time when a lion came and it attacked my flock. And I went after the lion and I grabbed the lion and I killed the lion. Then there was another time that another enemy came and it was a bear. And it, and it came and I stopped the bear and I killed that bear. And let me tell you king what God did for me in that time God will do for me now this time facing Goliath and facing the lion facing the bear has prepared me for Goliath it has served as preparation getting your sheep eaten by a lion would qualify as a bad day And preparation, generally speaking, only comes on bad days. It doesn't happen on good days. It's the bad days in your life that prepare you for tomorrow. You can ask Paul. Paul, he, 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 was, he was preaching the gospel of Jesus. With a, without abandon and he was he was preaching it with boldness with confidence and he had been beaten he had been stoned to 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 to, to death almost he, he was left for dead but he got up and guess what he did after he got stoned he went right back to preaching and the Bible says he was beaten without reason. And he went through a, he was jailed and he was put between guards and he was brought before trial in a very unjust manner. He had gone through some things. And the Bible says that as, as Paul is being transported to, to Rome to give a defense of, of his actions before the Roman uh, government... Because he was a Roman citizen and they couldn't, nobody could touch him, nobody could put him to death because he was a Roman citizen. And on his way uh, to Rome, he was shipwrecked. 
I mean, come on. You know, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, and I'm on my way on this, on this cruise, and now I'm shipwrecked, and now the, the owner of the boat wants to kill all of us because he thinks we're going to escape. And the Bible says that the, the prisoners, they had to swim to shore. They got to an island that no one knew. They got to the island, and the Bible says that they found out that this island was called Malta. And the inhabitants of Malta were very, very kind people, and they saw the condition that the, the men were in, and it didn't matter that they were prisoners. Uh, they, they built a fire. They built a fire for them so that they, they could warm up. And things are, are beginning to look good, right? Uh, the, 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 the shipwreck is passed. We finally saved our lives. No one's trying to kill us. And I'm, I'm warming up by the fire. And Paul says that when he got close to the fire, a snake sprung out and bit him in the hand. Have you had a bad day? I mean, I can only imagine if it was you or me, we'd have been like, really? Really, God? After all this, couldn't you just stop the snake and let me, just let me have a good day for once? Most of us would have given up. You'd have been like, I've been through too much. I give up. But see, Paul said, I've been through too much to give up. He got, and the Bible says that he got bit. Not only did he get bit, it says the Bible says that the snake fastened itself onto his hand. And Paul looked at it, and he just shook it off. Shook it off. See, here's the thing, church, when, when the enemy attacks you and you've been through some stuff and you've gone through some pain, you've gone through some suffering and that next dart of the enemy, that next attack, all you're going to do is you're going to be like, that's all you got. That's it. I'm just going to shake it off. The people of Malta were like, okay, we're waiting for him to swell up. So he shook it off and suffered no ill effect because he had been prepared he had been prepared and see moving forward if you don't forget your stuff along the way if you don't if you know that as you're going into the next level you're learning what you need to learn through the circumstances that God is bringing through bringing you through then you'll be able to face the next adversity that you have to look at in the face I'm going to go quickly. The second thing that the Bible says that they asked and they had to request was silver and gold. You know, I can understand the clothing. I mean, I think we can understand the clothing. They're about to embark into a journey that is going to take them some time. And they're going to need some protection from the elements. But, I mean, you know, when you go camping, you don't think about, let me take some jewelry with me. It's like, well, what do they need the gold and the silver for? What is, what is the purpose of this? But if you read in Exodus chapter 35, I guess the slides aren't working. I'll, I'll read it for you. Exodus chapter 35, verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 4. God is explaining to Moses his dream for the future. 
He's telling him, you know what, Moses, I want I, the reason that I have chosen you, the reason that I have taken my people out of Egypt, is because I desire for a deeper relationship with them. And God was painting a picture of a meeting place. But they were out in the middle of the desert. It was, there was no meeting place. It hadn't been built. And in verse 4, the Bible says that Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold and silver. Like, wait, 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 we're slaves. We don't have an offering. Come on. Come on, Pastor, you're asking for another offering? Don't you know how hard it's been? Don't you know how difficult it's been, Moses? We have been fighting through the desert. We've been running for our lives, and you're asking for an offering? Oh, wait. That's right, the Egyptians, they gave us some stuff. I have this bracelet. I have these rings. I have this jewelry made of silver and gold. And in verse 20, it says that the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting. For all his service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. See, when God brings you out of something, you're not going to leave empty-handed. When God brings you out of your Egypt, you're not going to leave without something in your hands. Not only will you be well-prepared, but you will have something To offer God. And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about uh, jewelry. And I'm not talking about these material things that we, that we have and sometimes that we value. And, and first Peter, he says it this way. Let me find it. I was hoping it'd be up on the screen, but I got to turn to it real quick. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. This is the way Peter says it. In all this... And all this is bad stuff. We have it. Okay. And all this, if you read the prior verses, all this is not very good things. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Not after this, but during this. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in what? May, re may result in what? Say it with all your heart. May result in what? See what the gold and the silver represents. It's not just material things. What it represents is the praise that you have to offer to Almighty God. Because the reality is that if God has brought you through something, there will be a great praise that is building up within your heart. There is a great gratitude within you that cannot be contained. 
can't hold it. There's a preacher that I like listening to, and he, he, he says it this way. He says that the size of your praise is directly proportion, proportional to the size of the hell that God has brought you from. See, some of us show up to church and we're like, That's cool. We, we love you too. But see, some of us, we recognize what God has done in our lives and we can't hold it within us. We are so grateful and there is a praise that we can't hold. There is a shout within my heart. There is a, 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 a lifting of the voice within my belly that I cannot withhold because God has been too good to me. There's some stuff that you bring with you out of Egypt. You're prepared for the next level. And you have a praise that you can offer. No, I won't look back. I'm not going to look back. But I'm taking some stuff with me. I'm taking some stuff with me. I'm going to ask you to stand. See, because... The pain and the suffering that is represented by my past. Though I don't, I don't, my identity does not come from that. It does prepare me for my future. It does prepare me for future pains and sufferings. It prepares me to just shake it off. And it prepares me to give to God the greatest praise within my heart. And I don't know if there's two or three people here today that can just at this moment can raise your hands and give a shout unto God and just give him honor and glory. Give him all that you have. Come on, let's take a few minutes here. Let's take a few seconds here. Raise your voice. Raise a shout. Give him honor. Give him glory. You have been too good to me, God, to be for me to be quiet. You have blessed me. You have delivered me. You have saved me. You've given me a new hope. You've given me life. You've given me a new reason to live and I will lift my voice I will lift my hands 